Cotney Attorneys and Consultants is dedicated to helping the construction industry with legal, business, and safety challenges. Welcome to this week's episode of Law and Mortar with John Kenny and Trent Cotney. Hey, it's Trent Cotney, CEO of Cotney Attorneys and Consultants, and I'd like to welcome everybody to another episode of Law and Mortar. As always, I've got my uh, good buddy and business partner, John Kenny, with me. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be here again. Glad to see you, buddy. That's a very nice background you have today. I love it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Kudos to uh, Whitney in our office for providing me with the latest and greatest. So um, we had another big week, a lot of different events this week. Uh, I know I started off out in Orlando, the National Safety Expo, uh, huge expo um, next to World of Concrete, the biggest one I've been to. Uh, had a great opportunity to speak about OSHA. We had uh, a packed audience. Um, uh, I think there was probably 80, 90 people in there, and it was it was a good conversation. Got to talk to a lot of different people from different industries. After that, uh, the NRCA legal conference has been going on all week virtually. We did, I did a couple of webinars. We had uh, Ben Briggs and uh, Gabe in our office also do uh, some webinars. So uh, good attendance on those. And then, John, I know you uh, have been busy uh, on the International Federation for Roofing Trades meeting. Um, why don't you tell everybody a little bit, a little bit about that one? Yeah, this, this week is their uh, 69th annual Congress, um, which is amazing. You know, uh, when you look back, you know, take it from a historical viewpoint from the 50s all the way up to current, it's fantastic. So anyways, what it's their convention, more or less. They call it a Congress, but it's where they go over all their annual business. They bring everybody together. They're in Marburg, Germany this year, and unfortunately, we're unable to travel there this year, so I was able to zoom in. Um, looking forward to next year. All our fans uh, from over there listening I already promised we'll be there next year. Can't miss that, but it was very good. Went through the uh, vision of the organization, where they're going next year. Big into uh, green roofing and sustainability, which is uh, very big over in Europe. Uh, our Arbor Car Committee and Waterproofing gave their report actually this morning early um, on where we're going. So, uh, you know, the two manuals of uh, best practices, both in slope and, and waterproofing design, those will be presented at the next Congress next year, finalized copies. Um, it looked like they had a very good crowd. It was a beautiful city. I was glad to be a part of it. it it's you, you forget your whatever, it's probably 6,000 miles away. But they, uh, even though you're zooming in, they make you feel at home. Everything looked good. So they have a lot of great stuff coming out. We'll keep you posted on that. That's a group I absolutely look forward to working with uh, on a consistent basis. They do a lot of great things. Yeah, you know, I had the opportunity to catch a couple of different presentations and, you know, class act. I mean, I'll tell you, the level of professionalism with IFD, it's, it's unparalleled. They really do a great job. Um, want to turn to some of the news headlines that uh, came out this week. Um, obviously, one of the things that we've been seeing, John, is a lot of challenges to these vaccine mandates. Uh, a group of contractors in Denver recently filed suit to challenge the mandate there. And then uh, the Texas governor put out an order saying that no entity, including private entities, could mandate vaccines. So what's interesting about this from a legal perspective, John, is that uh, even though you've got a state governor saying you can't do that, similar to our governor here in Florida, you know, Biden is still pushing ahead with the OSHA enforced. Uh, if you're over 100 employees, you have to either be you know, vaccinated or do regular testing. So 
it's going to be very interesting to see how the federal government and the state governments get along on that point. You can almost be assured they won't. So uh, what are your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I'm kind of um, like Florida and I know Texas can have a little bit different strategy how they're going around it with their announcements and their executive orders. I think the Texas one was straight up bang. We're not going to do it. You can't make us do it. Um, but again, it's you know kind of like the marijuana laws. They may be legalized in states, but it's still against the federal work law. And this, even though it's nothing to do with the marijuana or drugs, but it's kind of a similar thing. One, you know, I think in the end, probably the federal OSHA is going to end up trumping it all. Um, just my opinion, because I don't know how you can abide by a local order and, and be overridden by a federal order. I'm not sure, but that's why you're here and you're working on this day and night on the attorney side, I'm not in the legal, but from a business side, I think it's extremely confusing. I take calls on it all. And, and honestly, Trent, you know, I always refer them back over and all your videos that you're doing. I think anyone out there needs to really check these weekly updates that Trent puts out there. Um, Cause this is change. This is fluid. This is changing overnight. And I really, on a business side, it's hard for me to say, I mean, I, I, I talked to him, you know, we're over 100, working on federal work, we're doing this, what do we do? I, right now, I don't know, you got to be prepared. I think my advice is be prepared, you're probably going to have to abide by it in the meantime. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a very difficult situation and to, to further complicate things, you know, the medicine changes, the stats change, you know, we're in sort of a lull right now with, you know, the Delta variant, I'm sure there's another variant brewing uh, that will hit us during winter, but uh, it it changes how people view things, and and that um, the way that you look at this, I think, also affects a lot of the policy and a lot of the the rulemaking that we're seeing. Um, Want to switch gears a little bit to the supply chain issue. I mean, I would I would say next to vaccine questions, you know, material shortages are still the biggest issue. Um, you know the thing that, that came out of the Biden administration this week, um, he, he said that what he was going to do was uh, a couple of major ports in California was allow them to work, you know, 24-7. And uh, that, that was sort of trumped up as a big, you know, help for the supply chain. And, and don't get me wrong, it's something. But um, I think you and I both recognize that the real issue isn't the fact that the port isn't open all the time. The fact is that there's not enough longshoremen, stevedores, there's not enough trucking, there's not enough shipping containers, there's not enough anything that needs to be, it's not going to solve the problem. And to be honest, it might not even alleviate the problem because getting the stuff out of the port is still, is still an issue. So um, I'm curious to see, you know, how, how that kind of uh, re resolves itself. One of the things that we here as a company have done is through our lobbyist, Craig Brightup, he's our national lobbyist, is we are supporting the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. And this is an act that is currently before Congress. I encourage you to read about it, talk to your uh, local representatives and senators about it. Um, and we recently published an article on it on uh, Roofer's Coffee Shop. If you take a look at it, what it does is it's going to help streamline a lot of the issues that ports and shipping are facing. There's a lot of bottlenecks and bureaucratic red tape that this act is trying to relieve so that uh, it will make it easier to get stuff in and out of the port, uh, which 
from my standpoint, I think is a much more holistic approach rather than saying, hey, you can keep the lights on 24 hours a day. That, that isn't, uh, I don't think that solves it, but look at the OS, OSRA, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. Um, we will continue to put information out there on that. Um, John, what are you hearing about trucking and shipping in general? I know you've been talking to contractors about it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Jumping back to what you said, it's it's great to say keep the ports open. I think all it's going to do is eventually clog up the docks to where there's nowhere to unload the stuff, and then we're probably not going to be better off, but it's something. Um, you know, from what I could gather, uh, talking with the contractors, they're still facing the same problem. They just can't get it, or the manufacturers still can't get the materials they need to make it to get it to the trucks to begin with. So that's one side of logistical problem. The other side is the warehousing, getting it from the main ports to the main to the you know the distribution centers, and then it's still got to go back out. It does not come from the port directly to the store. So what what I see happening out there is you know, and again, um, Society for Advancement of Consultants, they happen to have a whole branch of them that really specializes in worldwide shipping containers and logistics. And there's a lot of good points that came out of that. The pandemic really um, brought a problem to light, you know, and it goes to everything in our logistical system. It's broke. We're not prepared for this. We weren't prepared to shut down. We weren't prepared to reopen back up. And a lot of the, the city areas, from what I'm hearing, is the infrastructure is still a big problem. There's bridges that are closed. You can't go. So the weight limits have been dropped. So I think it's a whole mixture of A to Z of all these problems. And I think it's going to take a few years to get this I don't, I don't want to scare anybody. I'm not saying it's going to take years to get us back to normal, whatever normal may be. But I think to really fix the logistics, it's going to have to be a full effort, getting more truck drivers trained, which needs to be done, maybe possibly lowering the age from 21 down, but have better training in the beginning so they're capable to drive at 18 or 19. Because why would you wait till you're 21 years old? I don't think you wake up and say, I want to be a truck driver. You may come out of high school and want to do that, right? We don't have an option for that now. So a lot of those things. And the contractors, like I say, Trent, they're still telling me the same thing. We just can't get our stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, lack of skilled labor in almost every industry continues to be a problem. If I was a soothsayer, I would say, I think this issue may resolve itself. And what I mean by that is I think that at some point, this economy will cool off either as a result of inflation and increased interest rates, uh, whatever it might be, it may result in, in decreased demand. And demand is really what is driving. There's too much money in the marketplace as a result of, you know, stimulus packages, relatively low taxes, almost no interest rates on loans. Money is incredibly cheap. Once money becomes expensive, then people aren't buying you know, those luxury items. They're not buying, the disposable income goes away. I anticipate, you know, again, not to be a pessimist, but I am a lawyer, right? Um, that in the next few years, some of this may resolve itself because of lack of demand. Um, but it remains to be seen. I'd hate for that to happen, but uh, I, I'm concerned about it at this point. But the only thing I'll tag onto that, I know we got a lot, you know, moving along, but Workforce is a huge issue, what you just said, besides not having the skilled training, coming out of a, a pandemic with a heated economy, I know you probably saw it on the news this morning, there are more strikes of workforce in plants, manufacturing, I mean, even Hollywood, uh, you know, the 30,000 or 60,000 and making films, they're going on strike. 
right now, John Deere is on strike. Um, I forget who else they said was on strike. So you're seeing a labor force that hasn't struck in about 35, 40 years are now going on strike. So now there's less things being made. So I think you're right about cooling off. If you, you know something's got to happen, it's going to break. But it's interesting to see how the workforce is reacting to, hey, now we, you know, we want better wages. That's what, you know, I'm just going around off the news reports. So it's it's coming. I think it's a whole mix of things still around the horizon. I agree. John, my friend, guess what time it is. I bet it is our favorite time. Question from the audience. It is. So got a list of questions here. Uh, I'm going to pick a good one for you. This question is from Lars. Lars's question is, do you believe in performing exit interviews on employees that leave and how do you structure them? So I'll, I'll let you go first and then I'll chime in. So I do believe in doing exit interviews and I think it's very similar to a contractor doing a post job analysis on a project. Nobody wants to do it. It seems to be a pain, but um, my recommendation is the way I like to do them. You have a written exit form. You get the information in through your uh, through your HR department, and then you you know your HR will do a lot of this. But as a manager or, or you know in a company, there's certain ones that I like to follow up on before the employee may go and, and ask a few follow up questions. I look at these the same as a post job review on a project. It is not about finding out why you might have a disloyal employee and they're leaving you. Forget about all that. Try to be open with them and hear what they got to say. And a lot of times it may be meaningless, but you might get a good tip out of it that'll help, you know, your future plans of doing it because they, they're going to see something you may not. And it's always good to hear anyways why someone is leaving, even though it's not always truthful, but you get something out of it. Yeah, I think that's sage advice. You know, um, I, I'm probably in the category that, you know, there's only one type of criticism, just criticism. None of it's constructive, but uh, I, you need constructive criticism because it helps you become better, right? And you got to take whatever ego or pride that you've got related to your business and understand that if somebody's leaving, yeah, there's probably other motivating factors, but you got to listen to what they got to say and see if you take, can make your business yeah, better. Take the personal out of it. You're correct. Yeah. Look at it as, so what, what did we not do well or what couldn't we offer that, you know, whatever. And again, you may not be able to do that, but it's still good to hear. Yep, Absolutely. So with that, John, we're going to call it quits. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for making us the number one construction law podcast in the world. Stay tuned next week for another episode of Law & Mortar. You can reach me if you've got any questions at tcotney at cotneycl.com. John, how can they reach you? They get me at jkenny at cotneycl.com. Great. Thank you, guys. We will see you next week. See ya.